This is Battleground Ballot Box, a production of Georgia Public Broadcasting. I'm Stephen Fowler, and today we're talking about the law. Election law is a complicated topic and something that has been in the headlines a lot lately with various challenges to how we vote. At the end of the day, we have to have rules to run elections. Brian Tyson is a partner at Taylor English Duma, where he is an election lawyer. He got a start in this specialty and the 2000 election cycle, drawing redistricting maps, and after the 2018 election, he saw there was a need for someone who understands how the election system works as well as the law. The crazy part of elections is when you're in litigation over elections, it moves so fast that there's often not a lot of time to do the normal things you would do in a court case in terms of developing a record. Um, You've got to kind of stand up and make your arguments, and that was especially true in the aftermath of 2018. Tyson says the core of election law is examining rules and procedures of how we vote. You've got to follow the rules if you want your vote to count. And the example, you probably heard me use this in court at one point or another, but if I show up on Wednesday at my precinct to vote the day after the election, I don't get to vote and I haven't been disenfranchised. I just didn't comply with the processes we have in place to get my vote counted. He's argued several cases for Democrats and Republicans and says in the last few years, the voting lawsuit landscape has drastically changed. And I think it's been interesting to watch how the role of the courts has shifted pretty significantly because kind of pre, maybe not pre-2018, a lot of the pre-2018 litigation was issues regarding districts, issues regarding kind of other pieces of the puzzle the really intensive focus on election practices and then some of the broader lawsuits we've seen like in march you know he'd make 47 different changes to georgia election law because of covid judge and the judge says no Um, that really having that involvement of the courts is is a significant shift and it's a significant shift away from having the policy making branches of government really get into the setting the rules which is historically how we've done it so it it is it's it's kind of a new world in a lot of ways but ultimately we have to have rules to run elections and that's kind of where we are the laws and rules that govern elections are made by the state legislature and the state election board in georgia which county elections officials use to run the day-to-day operations but what happens if someone thinks those rules and laws aren't right that's where the legal system comes in Many challenges to Georgia's election laws this year have come in the federal courts. One of the biggest challenges is the the fact that the U.S. Constitution reserves elections primarily for the states and for the states to run their own elections. And so for the issues that have been brought into federal court, the idea is there's got to be whatever the election practice is has to violate the U.S. Constitution, as you said. The challenge is a lot of these issues and historically courts have not involved themselves as they say, the federal courts particularly in the administrative details of an election. They've focused on very broad systemic problems. That's remained true in Georgia. There have been several election lawsuits here ranging from when absentee ballots must be received to the electronic voting machines the state just purchased for more than $100 million. But like Tyson said, the courts do not typically make changes to how elections are run. Of all the lawsuits filed in 2020, only one was ultimately successful, a ballot access challenge filed that lowered the number of signatures needed for third-party candidates to get on the ballot because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Something like that is a more broad systemic problem like the election law cases of old, Tyson said. So... If you think of, you know, redistricting that dilutes minority voting strength or that um, favors rural areas over urban areas of a state, 
um, or very particular election practices that are related to kind of free speech issues where there's a ban on write-in voting or there is a particular petition requirement for signatures to get onto the ballot. That historically has been what we've litigated. But the increasing complexity of voting systems and contested partisan nature of elections has changed the game. The cases now, talking about voting machines, talking about kind of various methods of voting, the Supreme Court said in the Burdick case years ago in the early 90s that a voter doesn't have a right to vote in any particular way they choose. And so what a plaintiff has to do if they want to get that issue in front of a federal court is convince the judge that this is an issue of constitutional import, not just an issue with how we run an election. Tyson says that's become more common, with federal judges being more open to exploring those kinds of issues. If it seems like judges tend to favor state and local elections officials in these cases, it's because they do. So practically, there is deference given to them, and the amount of deference depends on how severe the burden on the right to vote is. So most of these election cases, not all of them, but most of them are brought under uh, a line of cases called Anderson verdict. And in an Anderson verdict challenge, the judge has to look at whatever the challenged practice is and say, you know, what is the burden on the right to vote as a result of this? Because the Supreme Court has said, obviously, everything involves some burden. Um, the fact I have to go to my precinct is a burden at some level. The fact I have to fill out an absentee ballot and request one is a burden at some level. But the Supreme Court has distinguished between the burdens that kind of arise from life's vagaries they talk about, um, just kind of how we live, just because you're doing things, versus burdens that really are severe on the right to vote. Once the court determines how severe that burden is, the state or other government entity has to show what their interest is in placing that burden on voters. The state interests are very strong. I need to make sure that this person is eligible, that they are not have it serving a felony sentence, any number of things that the state has to do. And so the court would say that burden is justified by the state's interest. And for minimal burdens, the state interests are pretty much always assumed to be right. The state is just running the election. For very severe burdens on the right to vote, then the state's interests are not really given that much import because the burden on the right to vote is so severe. So they call it a sliding scale. And that's how a judge evaluates the people who are running the election and what they're trying to do versus the burden on the right to vote. In Georgia in particular, the COVID-19 pandemic has wreaked havoc on election administration, with polling places dropping out, a shift towards mail-in voting, and last-minute changes to many rules and procedures. But I think the issue for that is we want to set the rules before the game starts. Like, that's the ideal scenario. We don't want to be making changes to the rules while the game is underway. And the Supreme Court has taken a pretty clear line that in election cases in particular, if you're a plaintiff and you want to challenge an election practice, you need to do that with sufficient time that we can get a ruling on it before, and so we can basically let people know. And so ultimately, local election officials and the Secretary of State's office are the best source for that. And ideally, we'll have all the instructions for your absentee ballot or all the instructions that you receive on election day, all the training that poll workers would receive is all on the set of rules that will apply to that election. Where it gets dicey is exactly what you've identified is when we have situations where the rules change close to an election. And in those situations, I would urge people to contact their local election officials, their county boards of election, 
Um, they're going to be, be the people with the best information and the best source of information to help you know what needs to happen in a particular time. They're going to have to find out whatever the court ruling is, parse through all that and implement it. And so for voters that are wondering what's going on, that's where I would recommend they go. For example, a federal judge extended Georgia's absentee ballot deadline to be three days after Election Day, so long as it was postmarked by Election Day. An appeals court then overturned that ruling and we're back to the 7 p.m. Tuesday deadline. Though Georgia is currently under a Republican administration and a Republican Secretary of State and a Republican legislature, Tyson says changes and challenges to election law has been a bipartisan issue in years past. Still, we live in a polarized climate, so Tyson says you should expect even more lawsuits around the country and in Georgia for many elections to come. We could find out on Tuesday if 2020 has any more election suits in store. See you then. I'm Stephen Fowler. This is Battleground Ballot Box, a production of Georgia Public Broadcasting. You can subscribe to our show at gpb.org battleground or anywhere you get podcasts. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Our editor is Wayne Drash. Our intern is Eva Rothenberg. The show is mixed by Jesse Neiswanger, and the director of podcasting is Sean Powers. Thanks for listening. Thank you.